Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. Sustainable Stories is here to bring you the stories behind sustainability in our communities. From big to small, practical to theoretical, we're exploring the people and projects that are working to make our world a more sustainable, equitable, and healthy place to live. Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. My name is Jenna Inglot, and I will be your host for today's episode. This is podcast number three of three for our special Agriculture Week um, episodes. And I'm really excited to have with me today Arlie LaRoche, who is the owner of Farm 140 and co-owner of Odla Restaurant in Saskatoon. Welcome, Arlie. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. No problem. We're excited to have you and excited to learn a little bit more about your farm and yourself and your story. So just to start us off, tell us a bit about who you are and and what you do and, you know, your history and maybe how you ended up um, on Farm 140. Sure. Yeah. So I'm primarily a livestock farmer. As you mentioned, I own Farm 140 with my husband, Brett, and we raise grass-fed beef and lamb and pasture-raised pork and chicken. And as you also mentioned, we co-own Odla Restaurant on Broadway in Saskatoon. And uh, this is a partnership we have with the head chef and the general manager there. And we started that in the spring of 2019. It's a we supply them with a lot of the ingredients. So it's a, it's a farm to table restaurant. And then it also has a small market attached. Yeah. Very cool. I have eaten at Odla and it is fantastic. So I'll just let our listeners know they should all, um, especially post pandemic, but even during pandemic should um, have a bite to eat there. Cause it's lovely. Um, so Arlie, where, where are you from? How did you get started with with Farm 140, has this, you know, been a part of your family or always something you've done? I'm curious about the, the, uh, the birthplace of your, your farming story. Sure. Yeah. So I, my husband and I both grew up on farms. I grew up on a, mostly a cattle and grain farm near Yorkton. And uh, so learned about animal husbandry and, and a bit about farming there. And then I actually studied in, uh, water resources engineering in school and I worked in the environmental consulting industry until about 2013 and uh, so Brett and I were farming on the side as a hobby and you know just in the in the evenings and on the weekends but it grew to a point that was no longer manageable like that and it was also at this time that we had two young kids so it was just an obvious shift for me to to you know, have the flexibility to work from home. And just the more I did it, the more passionate I became about having my own farm. And so that's kind of how Farm 140 was born. Um, and Farm 140, a lot of people ask me why it's called that. It's because we have 140 acres here at our at our home quarter here. And uh, I mean, we have more land than that now, but that's what we started off with. And I guess I was just kind of amazed at how much actual food you could grow on 140 acres so I thought that that's how we came up with the name um so yeah we're a direct to customer mixed farm um like we we sell our beef lamb and pork direct to customer and then also through our restaurant 
and we holistically manage our land. And we've been really studying this and honing in on the on the principles of holistic management. I would say for about five years, we've been getting like really, really dialed in on that. Yeah. Cool. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that, Arlie? Like what do you mean? Uh, many of our listeners know, and, and many of them don't know, um, you know, when you're talking about holistic management, um, you know, what, what are you meaning? Yeah, so I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Holistic management is kind of a design system. So it's a, it's a way to look at your farm as a holistic thing rather than just looking at the individual pieces. And, and so that just helps you see where there can be synergies built in and, and things like that. And that's probably why we ended up having such a, a diverse and complicated farm. I mean, it would be easier if we had, you know, just a lot of cattle or, or a lot of grain land or, you know, as opposed to having a little bit of all of these enterprises, but there's so many benefits of having the interconnectedness of all of it. So, so we do it even though it's more work. Um, but I mean, you know, one big thing that comes to mind is that we do totally grass fed beef and lamb in a planned grazing setup for, for the herbivores. And so, I mean, this, not only does it make a different end product, like if you analyze grass fed beef and lamb and compare that to to grain fed, the nutritional composition is quite different. And there's plenty of credible studies to back that up. You can just do a quick Google search and you'll see, see that. <laughs> yeah. um, but it also does an amazing job at capturing carbon. Like um, I'm always a little bit disappointed when I see these documentaries and studies that people share about that say that beef is bad for the planet. And, you know, of course, like it is true that in certain situations, like if you have a big feedlot and you're growing huge amounts of grain to feed those animals, and then on the other end, you have this, this big waste problem. Like, of course, there are situations where it is bad for the planet, but that completely ignores all of these other land managers that are doing a totally different model that's good for the environment. And, you know, like if you, I, I've studied Alan Savory's uh, work a lot and you know, he's demonstrated so much that you can use herbivores in this plant grazing system to capture carbon and build soil health and help reverse climate change. And I mean, all of that is to not even mention building in better food security, which has become a big topic of conversation lately. So yeah, yeah, just to simply say bad is too black and white and misses this huge opportunity. Um, so yeah, I think people just need For to sure. focus more on, on the how. The yes. race, but sorry, I'm getting a little bit off off topic. <laughs> no, this, so, yeah. this is not off topic at all. This is totally on topic. Yeah, it's a conversation. I think, uh, you know, it, it comes up a, a ton, and I, you know, I even see things on my own social media, um, you know, on all sides, just very extreme ways of looking at things and and not looking at the the details within those pictures and and really thinking about how, you know, even even like native prairie grasses are one of the most endangered ecosystems on the planet. Um, they're also one of the most important ecosystems in terms of carbon sequestration and, you know, properly managed grazing is so critical to, to how we do 
grasslands management. Like that's so, it's so important. Some of the larger ranches in across the prairies and even in, you know, throughout the United States are huge in terms of where grassland management is happening, like true native grassland management. So um, you're right that that's a very black and white way of looking at it. And there's lots of, um, yeah, there's lots of good science behind why holistic and, and an understanding of the management style is is really beneficial for for climate change for species at risk for all of these different you know complex systems that are are a part of not just our food system but you know our global ecosystem so yeah absolutely yeah i totally agree yeah our soil here at at near saskatoon is very very sandy so it's very fragile so if you till the soil here it's it's very difficult to get things to grow back in their place. So to, to leave it undisturbed and just let animals graze it repetitively is like, in my opinion, the safest and most natural thing we can do with this soil. If we tried to, to till it, it would be, it, you know, the soil would blow away and it would be a disaster for this location. I mean, there's different soils everywhere, but that's where we are here. So yeah, right. just trying to work with, with what we've got here and do the best thing we can for this land that we're managing. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, so <laughs> you talked about this a bit earlier, Arlie, but you know, you kind of do all of the things on your farm. <laughs> so I'm curious, um, you, you know, you mentioned uh, beef and lamb, but I'm curious about the, the other pieces of your farm. So, um, you know, what what are you all doing on the farm and, and what kind of products do you get from that and sell from that? Yeah, so we do the pigs too. And the pigs, we, they're not herbivores. And so they do need supplemental feed, but we do still raise them on pasture just because we're trying to respect their natural tendencies. Like pigs love to dig and they go crazy if they can't do that. So they're just, if you see a pig outside, you, it just, it's the picture of happiness. They're just so <laughs> pleased with themselves that they can lay in a mud hole and, and, and not to mention, they're just way easier to take care of outside. Like you don't have a big barn that you need to clean out. And, you know, to me, it just makes so much sense to have them outside. So with the pigs, we have all the products that go along with that sausages and bacons and all those types of things. And then, uh, yeah, the chickens, the chickens come and go here. Like we've, we've raised egg layers in the past and we've gotten out of it. Some summers we raise meat birds, some summers we don't. Um, I haven't done egg layers in a while, but my son and daughter, who are nine and 11, they, they've they expressed an interest in having some egg layers. So we're going to get some birds this spring and just, it'll just be for fun. It won't be, we won't be selling our eggs, but it'll just be a little hobby thing for this summer. And chickens are super handy animals to use like around the garden. Um, they, they're just, it, their manure is amazing. It's just like the strongest stuff. And then because they're so small, you can, you can put them in a little chicken tractor and just focus them on any little garden patch you want, or, you know, you can, you can use it like as spot treatment almost for, for problem areas. So they're kind of fun to use that way. And, uh, yeah, so with, with, uh, with all of the products, as I said, you can buy them at the market at Odla, and then they use the products in the dining room at Odla. So when you order food off of the menu at Odla, you would be eating our, our uh, products there. And then on our website, you can buy all of our products in bulk. So you can buy like a quarter beef or a side of pork or a side of lamb. And 
we also have a little store here at the farm that you can just buy smaller quantities of of all of those items too and uh, yeah and then on the garden side of things like we have a big veggie garden that is just for our family and then when we opened Odla we our plan was that we would focus on providing them with the protein first because you know just build in one thing at a time as we manage it and then the, the goal was to build in more veggie capabilities down the road and that definitely happened because uh so whatever ingredients our chef wasn't able to get from us he makes a big effort to get from other Saskatchewan farms and so in that first year he met a lot of great uh a lot of great veggie farmers and and all kinds of farmers grain farmers and foragers and all kinds of things and we use all all of these different products it's crazy to see his his supplier spreadsheet it's you know it's way more work to manage but all the ingredients that we're getting are so amazing and it's just a way to support all of these other Saskatchewan growers uh, so in that in that process, he met a really great veggie farmer, Julie Maxwell. She, her business is called Crocus Hill Garden, and she was uh, running a CSA off of her parents' land near Lloydminster. And she started to she she wanted to grow her veggies here, which was a perfect fit because we needed someone to help with the veggie program. And so she last year, her and I built up a big spot for her to grow veggies here so she'll continue that this summer and within that we do like you know a lot of mulching we do hugel culture beds we do a ton of rainwater harvesting and like large-scale composting and all those all those fun things <laughs> that go that's along amazing. with that yeah that's incredible oh I love it I love that uh yeah there's so many different things that that you guys are doing and experimenting with and um yeah, I, I have lots to learn. I, I've never raised chickens before. My husband has. And last year we had some chickens and um, we did the, you know, we had a little pen on wheels that we sort of moved around the yard. And I just, I was just blown away how incredible it was in terms of, we we don't really have lawn per se. It was a hay field that when we developed this property, we just started cutting the hay as grass. <laughs> and so as the chickens kind of moved around this, I was like, you know, I don't have to cut the grass. It's so much greener. Like, yeah. the, you know, there's all these species that are coming back, um, you know, because they're getting naturally fertilized and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's just it's it's really interesting and really fascinating to, you know, spend some time actually understanding the ecosystem and then having your your farm and and that be a part of the ecosystem rather than separate from so um yeah that's really cool that that's what you guys are doing um as well and i think i i could have read this wrong arlie but um i thought i saw on your website are you guys also keeping bees yeah so that's another little fun project that's happening here I mean, it's funny how this farm has, it, it, it's taken on a life of its own because, you know, we started off with one thing. And then when I was working in the environmental consulting industry, I had a friend that I worked with there that was raising bees in his backyard in the city. And he wanted to develop that business more, but he didn't have the space to do it. So at that time, he asked if he could bring some hives out here. And I was happy to to do that because I wanted the pollination and to support my friend. And so that was, oh, that was probably seven or eight years ago now that he brought the first hives, but that's really his business. And it just takes place here. 
And so I like to, I like to build in these kind of synergies with the people too. I have like this, this Julie doing her uh, garden here now and Ross doing the bees. And, you know, I, I feel like the more, the more we do, the more opportunities present themselves and, and then it just kind of snowballs from there. But um, I feel like a big part of sustainability and holistic management too, is just kind of working with what land you have and what situation you have. I remember a long time ago, I did a workshop with Joel Salatin and in the opening few lines, he said, you know, I've done this talk all over the world. I've done it in Australia. I've done it in Europe. I've done it all over North America. And he said, before you cross your arms and say, well, that's all good for you, Joel Salatin, but that won't work for me here because I have this or I have that or, you know, like well, my climate's different. And, and he said, I'm not here to give you a prescription of what to do. Like you all have to figure out the strengths and weaknesses of your space and, and your, your own personal strengths and weaknesses. And it's your job to figure out how to create your, your dream farm on your land, you know? And I think that's such a, a big part of it, right. Is just being an observer and really like recognizing the strengths and weaknesses. And, and then it becomes easier to, to see your path. And, you know, for us, as I said, we have sandy soil. We're not going to be commodity grain farmers here. It just would make absolutely no sense. Being close to the city, having a restaurant made sense to us. Having yeah, these yeah. like other people doing an integrated business here made sense to us. Doing direct customer marketing makes sense. Um, you know, there's there's other things that make sense for us to do here that would not make sense elsewhere. And yes. Yeah, I think you just really need to always watch for those feedback loops. I think like if you're if you're constantly needing to add to the system, whether that's in the form of like fertilizer, pesticides, or herbicides, or maybe it's in the you know needing to treat animals and replace livestock because they're getting sick, or you have this huge excess of waste that you need to haul off. Like all of those are feedback loops saying mm, maybe this isn't the right fit. You know, right. So. Yeah. yeah, just looking for those. And I, I think it's cool how Odla has fit itself so nicely into the system too. Like the farm feeds Odla with, with ingredients, and then all of the compost that's generated there, like all the veggie peels and all of that, comes back here and either gets fed to the pigs and chickens or it gets added to the compost pile to build soil fertility, and just the connection too with the clientele, Odla's clientele. It's it's nice to be able to give the urban supporters of Odla a connection to a working farm Um, we do these on-farm dinners here in the summer and we do farm tours and you know in this day and age it's just harder and harder for people to to see a working farm and especially children you know a lot of them aren't aren't they're, they're so removed from where their food is coming from so we're just trying to help bridge that gap a bit and yeah I just think people are such a big part of the puzzle yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I liked all of what you said really had me visualizing, you know, this farm ecosystem being a part of, you know, this global ecosystem, ecosystem, but the human aspect of that ecosystem is really important and the relationships that we build and, you know, utilizing other people's strengths and skills and things like that. And, 
you know, learning as much as we can and then determining, okay, well, what, what am I good at and sticking to that? And then, you know, creating relationships and partnerships where you need it to, to strengthen those areas. So um, yeah, you guys have done such a great job of that. And I was going to ask you about the, the on-farm dinners, because I remember I have not been myself, but I remember last year during the summer, and I think it was the summer before as well. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I remember seeing, uh, some stuff from you guys on social media and then even seeing, you know, a few friends and colleagues having made it out there and it's just, yeah, what a cool experience that you guys have created, like eating, eating on the farm, eating it basically like I imagine it, you know, as a farm kid myself, like I imagine it as, you know, you're almost creating that like supper in the field experience for, for someone who, you know, for you and me, that's kind of just, but it's still special, even though it's been a part of your life. But, you know, for someone who grew up in an urban setting, or even maybe just lives in an urban setting and grew up on a farm, like having a place to go and eat an on-farm meal and, you know, be amongst a working farm is just really special and really unique. So that's very cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We've been, we've been doing them for, I think, six or seven years now. And it started off as just a little thing I would do just for my existing clients. And it was just in a party tent. And then the more we did them, the more we grew to love them and our clients grew to love them. And then, yeah, when we added Odla to the mix, it became obvious that this was going to be a regular occurrence. And so then we built more of an event area to, to host these to the host these events. So yeah, it's been, it's been a work in progress, but it's been good. And people seem to really enjoy them when they come. So. Yeah, that's really neat. Um, I wanted to ask you, this is jumping back a little bit, but is it the case uh, on your farm that you're also doing the meat, like the processing of the meat and, and packaging and things there, or is that something that you have a relationship with someone else for? Yeah, that's something we do not do here. We considered building a a slaughterhouse and a butcher facility here. We did like, uh, you know, go down the rabbit hole of, of doing up a business plan and all of that. And in the end, it just wasn't a fit for us. You know, like we getting back to the holistic management thing. I don't know if you're familiar with Alan Savory's like seven testing questions that you're supposed to ask. And yeah, just just for the for what we were trying to do, like my husband, as I said, works full time in the city. He owns his own engineering company, so he's busy, and it just felt like another thing we weren't able to add, you know, and yeah. didn't seem like a wise thing for us to add. So anyway, all that is to say that no, we don't do our own, and we do all of our we we take all of our animals to a, a facility near Martinsville, and they are licensed, inspected plant so then it's totally legal for us to to resell it and they do a great job and and I'm super yeah. happy with their product so and then we're just supporting another Saskatchewan business so yeah me, that's exa- like, exactly yeah. what I was going to say you're just again with that human ecosystem you're just kind of creating another avenue for you to do what you need to do and support someone else who's doing what they want to do so yeah that's awesome yeah, yeah. Um, that's when I think about, you know, often on this podcast, we talk about sustainability really from the, you know, environmental sustainability aspect and the social side of sustainability. Um, you know, but 
thinking or talking about what, you know, what you guys have done and what you do, there is that aspect of, you know, doing something and doing it well so that you are economically sustainable as well so that you can make a living off of it and supporting other businesses so that they can make a living from what they are doing as well. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. That's something I think a lot of farmers overlook that they want to farm because they love it and that's all. And they don't pay enough attention to the, to the financial side of things. And they think it'll all work out in the end, but it doesn't always work out that way. And you have to be careful to manage that side of it too, because if you don't, then you won't be able to continue on with that farm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really key. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you, yeah, just everything that you said, it's, it really lends itself to that piece. So um, this is awesome, Arlie. This has been such a good conversation. Um, one way I would love to, to end off this episode is to hear a bit about, you know, what's next for Farm 140 or what's up and coming or what are you excited for, um, you know, this upcoming season? Yeah, so I mean, I'm always just excited to get out of the the cold of winter. That in itself <laughs> is just, uh, you know, it's funny how there's always those days in January and February where you just feel like the cold and the snow is going to last forever. And yet every spring it melts and it warms up and you get to start new. So that's, that's nice. Um, so yeah, calving and lambing season, that's just around the corner. We do that in April. So that's, that's always a, an exciting time. And then in terms of like new things, I'm, I'm looking forward to just building up that event area a little bit. We have some some new construction that we're going to be adding there to just make that a, a better place. And we have some fun new events planned that I'm not going to say anything more than that, but, <laughs> but it's going to be exciting. So people can cool. watch out for those. And uh, yeah, just the egg layer thing too, having some chickens on the farm again, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to that. We got out of egg layers, like I said, maybe about four years ago, I want to say, and at the time we got out of it, I was just so done with them. And I just didn't want to do that business anymore. But now that I've had a break and now that my kids have taken an interest in it, I'm really looking forward to having them around again. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Just looking forward to some warmer days ahead, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's awesome. I will definitely make sure to, you know, link your guys' website and social media pages, um, you know, in the episode notes so that folks can follow along. And when you do get to share about, you know, what's, what's up and coming and exciting in terms of events, then, you know, people will know where to go to find out. So that's awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing that. And yeah, I'm equally looking forward to some warmer days. I do love winter uh, myself. But this year, especially, I feel really eager for for spring. So I am with you there. Mm -hmm. Seeing things grow and yeah. getting back out in the yard and stuff will be exciting. So, yeah, absolutely. Actually, I will just say as you were as you were mentioning about uh, sharing with the people to follow us on social media with our events. Uh, I've found that so with Odla and the farm, we have a mailing list, like an email list that we maintain and. I find that now that we've got those lists built up when we're having these events, that's always the first place that we share it is to those people on our mailing list. And often our events are selling out to them 
before we have a chance to announce it on social media. And so people are missing them because they don't find out about them. So actually the very best way to find out about our events is to go to like farm140.ca, which is the farm's website, or odla.ca, which is the restaurant's website. And on both of the homepages there, you can sign up to our email list. And that's always, they're, they're always the first in the know. <laughs> okay. The first to find out about stuff. So yeah. cool. That's good to know. I'll have to do that as well because that makes sense. I know I've seen a few times in the past, like a picture, and, you know, there's people out there. And yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it sells out. Uh, quick especially when it's you know a small intimate group so yeah that's awesome thank you Arlie so much for taking the time to chat with me today I really appreciate it and yeah I'm look for, looking forward to following along with what's coming up next for Farm 140 and Ola. yeah it was great chatting with you too and thanks for having me on Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Sustainable Stories podcast. This podcast is hosted by myself, Jenna Inglot, as well as Roxanne Wagner from Sage Sustainable Solutions Consulting. For a full list of episodes, as well as more information about Sage, check us out online at sagesustainable.com. And as always, we welcome your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions. Catch you next time.